Hey everyone, this is Jim, and you're listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Today I wanted to talk about the legal side of faith and the personal side of faith. So for example, when I use the word the legal side of faith, I'm talking about uh, scriptures such as there has been no name given among men whereby we can be saved or whereby we must be saved, talking about the name of Jesus and other scriptures where it says that he who has the son has the father also, uh, but he who does not uh, have the son, neither does he have the father. So there's plenty of, of, of verses, scripture verses that show that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no man comes to the father except by him. And so that's the legal side. The, le- the legality part of, of salvation is that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that uh, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And we can understand that. If you're a, if you're a believer, you understand that. You can grasp those scriptures they're very simple in some cases, and in other cases it expounds on a little more, gets a little deeper into it. But then you have the, the personal side of faith. So you have the legal side, the personal side. The personal side is that God loves us as individuals. And that's shown in scripture verses where you see that the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep that are found to go after the one that was lost. And there was there's more rejoicing after finding that one that was lost than after the 99 that were there. Um, And we can see in the ministry of Jesus uh, how he was moved with compassion and healed people. So we have the balance. It's almost as though, um, look at it this way, you go into a court, there's a case pending against you, and there's a certain amount of anxiousness when you go into court, even when you're not guilty, right? Because you still have to stand before the judge. The judge still has to make that final pronouncement. So um, there is a bit, and I've been to court uh, before uh, in recent times, especially quite often um, with a, a member of the family fighting different issues having to do with... Um, housing and some other things. Don't want to get too deep into that, but you never know who the judge is, right? So sometimes the uh, judge doesn't like you and will rule against you. And sometimes the judge likes you. So imagine this. Imagine that you go into a courtroom and you suddenly find that the judge knows you. I mean, that's the only way I can describe what it would be um, in the day of judgment when we stand before the throne of God. Because if you ever go pro se into a courtroom, what that means is you don't have legal representation. You represent yourself. And you don't know how the law works in a lot of cases. Maybe you know how part of it works, but unless you went to law school, you really don't understand 
all of the uh, intricacies of how you base an argument and the opposing lawyer, which in this case would be the devil in, in the context of what we're talking about, uh, the accuser of the brethren, um, he understands all the minute aspects of the law and how you've broken it. And maybe you can answer a few of the charges, but sooner or later, and I've seen this again and again um, in courtrooms where somebody doesn't have the money or the means to represent, to buy representation, to be represented by an attorney, and so they try to represent themselves. And they think they know a lot because they studied it, but then they find they're up against somebody who's sharper than they are. Um, and you get the point. And they get that deer in the headlights look where they don't know what to say. And the other attorney is just looking at them like, you don't even belong here. The judge comes under the realization pretty quickly that you're over your head. And the gavel falls and that's it. So I've seen that happen. I've seen people in foreclosure courts where maybe fraud has been committed against them, but they don't, they can't prove it. They don't, um, but let's not, let me, let me not go too far down. I'm, I'm tempted to go down that, that path, but I'm not going to go any further down that path. Um, but so, so here's the thing. It, it, when, when we appear before the judge uh, of all, and we appear in that final uh, judgment. We have a friend that sticks close to a brother at our right side, Jesus, God's son, who loves us and gave himself for us. And that same Jesus who will be standing by our side during that time and letting the judge of all know that we have believed and we have received him and that his blood has covered our sins and that our unrighteousness has been washed away. And in exchange for his righteousness, um, and we will be found not guilty. And maybe we will be found guilty of certain things. I really don't know exactly how the process is going to work, right? The Bible says some people will be saved as by fire. Um, but regardless of the intricacies of our individual lives, the choices we've made, and, and what, how that plays out in the end, we know that Mercy does triumph over judgment because the Bible says it, and we are in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, and that's what you need to hang on to. You need to walk this life soberly, the Bible says, because the days are short. And somebody hears things like that, and they think, oh, the days are short, but they've been saying that for 2,000 years, so obviously the days aren't short. But let me put it to you this way. Anybody who ever read that verse in their own time, their days were short. Because we're only here, the Bible says our, our life is just like a mist <laughs> that's here for a moment and then is gone. So our time is very short, and that's why the warnings are in the Bible that the time is short, because for you it is, right? Because you play out your part in the, in the drama of life. The time is short. Even if you live to be 120 years old, that's really not a long time in the big picture of things. And as you go through life, you can look back on your own life and see how time has really passed quickly. And you might find yourself wondering, as I do often, where has all the time gone? But so when, when the Bible gives an admonition, it's giving it to people whose time is always short. So, so there's an initial judgment that takes place. 
and that takes place after you draw your last breath. What does it say about the adversary or making things right while you're in the way, lest you go before the judge? Um, that that actual verse um, has slipped my mind at the moment. But basically what it says is, is this, is that um, make peace before you go to the judge with your adversary. So if we're God's adversaries, we make peace by with him through Jesus Christ, through believing, through opening our hearts, and by becoming a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, the Bible says, all things have become new. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all of these things are the legal side of faith. Now let me talk about the personal side. The personal side is here you are in 2017, you have your life, um, you have the circumstances that you're within. Now, one of the things to understand is that as God's children, I'm, I want to use that word, we're all at different stages of growth. And now, I want to encourage you with this. So some of the other things, um, I, sometimes it's good to be a little bit nervous, I think, uh, and not take things for granted, meaning that you want to live right. It takes an effort to live right. It takes an effort to be good to everybody and treat everybody the same. It takes an effort to not let the sun go down upon your wrath, as the Bible says, when certain things are happening that are beyond your control. And when it seems like unrighteous people are just rising up um, all around you, in the world around you, even if it's not against you, there's just issues. Um, so... When I'm talking about children, I want to think in, in, this, in this context. So whether you have children or not, you know that if a six-year-old boy or girl comes up to you and something's bothering them, the way they communicate is going to be much different than if an 18-year-old or 17-year-old or 16-year-old comes up and tries to sit down and talk with you. You, you understand what I'm saying? Likewise, take that child and fast forward them into a 30 to 50 year old adult communicating with their parent at that time. There you can see the relationship has developed and matured over time. So what I'm trying to say this, the reason I'm using this because everybody can relate to this is because your relationship with God will mature. Now, if you act towards your parent when you're 30, the same way you did when you were 10, then you would have to say, well, there's got to be something wrong with that person. In other words, the parent expects more of a 30-year-old son or daughter than they do of a 10-year-old. But still, when you're 10 years old, you're 10 years old, there's nothing you can do about it because you haven't developed past that point. You want to. Sometimes the 13 to 15-year-old thinks that they're 25 and they get themselves in trouble, find themselves in a situation over their head and their parent has to rescue them. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you've been on both sides of that equation. So when we read things in the Bible, um, like the different ways to pray, example, the one I give most often is Mark eleven twenty four. Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. <clears throat> so if you're sick and you, and you prayed, 
according to Mark eleven twenty four, you could word it like this. Um, believe you receive healing when you pray, and you'll have pre- healing after you pray. Um, if, if you're in need of, of money to pay your taxes, Jesus, believe you receive the money to pay your taxes when you pray, and afterward, then you shall have the money afterward. That's just that's what we call the prayer of faith. There's also the prayer of agreement. In Matthew 18, it says, If any two of you on earth shall agree as to touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So some Bible scholars, uh, experts in the Greek language, means if any two of you on earth shall harmonize over something that concerns the two of them, it will be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. So in there, you can see the rule is, um, if two people on earth are agreeing as to touching a situation that affects both of them, but they have to believe. If one believes and one hopes, but, but doubts, but has reservations, but has fears, then they're not in agreement. They're not harmonizing. So think about uh, two people playing instruments and harmonizing together. If one of them is out of harmony, then what you hear is a lot different, right, than if both of them are in harmony together. That's another type. And then you have scriptures like Mark eleven twenty three. that's not even talking about prayer, but it's talking about moving mountains with the spoken word and believing. That's another example. And then we see things like Jesus healing people by touching them but not saying anything. And other examples where he spits into the dirt and makes clay with it and puts on a blind man's eyes. Another example where he tells the people to go show themselves the lepers to the priests. Another example where he rebukes the infirmity. And so we see all of these these things, and it's kind of like if a 10-year-old walks into a college class and starts to hear all of these all of this information, he can't go back and make it fit into his reality because it's over his head. And so when I first started reading these things uh, in the Bible 30 years ago, 31 years ago, whatever it's been now, I remember thinking, well, I, I just, what do, what do I have to do to get God to help me? And so I read t- and listened to testimonials, and it seemed like everybody did different things, but the one thing they had in common was that they believed and they they didn't doubt. And so... That's what I did. I, I picked a, a scripture verse that seemed to speak to me at the time. I prayed according to that scripture verse, and I did what the scripture verse said. And it took 90 days for me to see the answer. But when the answer came, it came suddenly overnight. I would say 90% of the answer came about thirty or 90 days later. And then the rest, that 10% worked itself out over the next 24 to 48 hours. And it, it was, for me, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before, but it was warts. It was the very first thing I prayed for. And uh, according to the Bible, using the principles of faith that, that were brand new to me at the time. And so I had warts on my, my finger for two to three years leading up to this point. And finally went to the doctor, got some medicine for it. And used it for a day and then stopped using it and said, I'm going to uh, learn to pray according to the Bible and receive. 
I figured at the time, I mean, you know, warts aren't going to kill you. It's nothing. It's just something doesn't look too nice. So the funny thing was, was that after I prayed, the, uh, the warts actually started to grow for the first time in two years. So the reverse happened that I want to happen. So maybe they got about 10% bigger. Looked like they were spreading. And I remember when I would wash my hands, I would jump back because the, the, the doctor told me that, you know, make, uh, make sure you, that they don't, your finger doesn't get wet. Because uh, dampness, moisture will actually work against you. And when I found myself reacting to fear, I thought, wait a minute. I believe I received. And if I believe I received, then I believe I have it now. And if I believe I have it now, then I believe... I, in other words, I was in the, in the spiritual world. I believe that the, the result had already come. And so... As a result of already the result already having come in the spiritual world, I believe the natural world had to follow suit and had no choice at all in the matter. So in, instead of fighting based on the visible world and weighing and evaluating the effectiveness of my prayer based on what I was seeing, I threw all that out consciously. I refused to look at what I could see. And I thought, if I believe I already have it, then it doesn't matter if my finger gets wet or not, and I'd turn on the water and stick my thumb right under it and let it soak in the water. The very thing that they said not to do. So I kept this up, and about, I don't know, 60 days later, when I would look down, I would see those warts looking back at me. I actually started laughing at that point. And I thought, I don't know if these warts can hear me or not, but I guess they can, right? Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed. Or whosoever say the sycamine tree, uh, be uprooted. I mean, there's different verses like Luke chapter 17 and Mark 11:23 that talk about different types of objects, trees and mountains, and everything in between that you speak to, and you believe uh, will happen. It will come to pass. Prior to that time, everything had been based on the come to pass part. That's all I thought about every day was the come to pass. But when I switched from come to pass thinking to it's already happened in the spirit world, I switched from come to pass to believe you receive, then I realized that um, as long as I didn't start focusing on the come to pass part, it would be impossible for it not to work. As long as I re focused on the believe you receive part, believe you have it, then there was no way failure would, was impossible. And so I was locked in every day. I don't believe I'm going to get it. I believe I have it. That statement was totally based on the spiritual world, not the natural world, because in the natural world, I didn't have it. But I wasn't trying to have something naturally. Does that make any sense? I was only trying to have something spiritually. Let me say that again. Let's say you need something physically or something that's physical, something you can touch in the visible world around you. Sometimes when you pray and you believe, you're trying to believe to have that. I threw all that out, and instead I believed I already had it. Well, I couldn't believe I had it visibly because it wasn't there. And to say something that was there that wasn't is a lie. But in God's world, it is there. So when I make a, a statement of faith based on the invisible world, then it's not a lie. For example, I can say that Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father. 
I believe that because the Bible says it. I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen the chair. <laughs> I haven't seen the floor that the chair's sitting. I haven't seen any of that. But yet I say that with confidence. Why? Because I'm making a statement of faith. A statement that's based on a spiritual reality, not a physical reality. So when you pray, your believing has to be based most of the time on spiritual realities, not physical realities. That's why it says we walk by faith, not by sight. Sight is the physical realities. Faith is the spiritual realities. So 90 days after saying, I'm already healed. I'm not waiting to be healed. I already am healed. I was saying that based on the spiritual reality, based on the heavenly reality, based on what exists in God's world, not this world. I totally ignored this world to the best of my ability and got by the best I could. So 90 days later, I go to sleep one, one night. I wake up the next morning and they're gone. There was barely a, an outline of where they had been the day before. So it didn't happen gradually. It happened instantly. And then I learned that principle, and I used it. Now, what, one of the mistakes that I made was um, I began to look at faith too much as a formula and not as a principle. I began to look at the legal side, and I lost the personal side. The personal side is that Jesus loves me and God loves me, and that I'm part of their family, and nothing can separate me from the love of God, according to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. So... When I think about that, I have peace in my heart because it's the relationship that matters at the end of the day. It's the being in Christ that matters. It's the knowing God as Father. Now, back then, I was like the 10-year-old to 15-year-old trying to be an adult. I didn't understand how everything worked. I think I thought everything fit into a certain little box, and I didn't, didn't know a lot of things. But here was the thing that I didn't understand that took me almost 25 years to grasp. And I can still lose it sometimes if I don't put myself in remembrance of it. Is that God expects more of you the longer you know him. In other words, God expects you to make some effort to understand. God expects you to try to seek him a little bit more. And become a, a spiritual type of Christian instead of just a natural kind. Instead of one that's moved by feelings and emotions. And so now, 31 years later, whatever it is. Um, actually, yeah, it'll be 31 years in July. 31 years in July, 31 years ago, 1986, is when I consciously understood what salvation was. I believed in Jesus just about all my life, but it wasn't the Bible version. It was just, you know, that he was God's son. But I made a conscious decision to open up my heart, believe and receive him as a savior in July of 1986. And so this coming July of 2017 will be 31 years. And so, the Jesus that I know now, does he differ than the Jesus that I knew then? It's the same Jesus, but my, my understanding, when I talk about my understanding, I'm, I'm referring just as much to my heart as I am to my head, knows that 
I'm more mature now than I was back then. In other words, my understanding is broader than it was. And there's no way really that it can't be unless you just totally walk away and have nothing to do with praying, have nothing to do with the Bible, have nothing to do with uh, other Christians, other believers. There's no way you can't grow a little bit. But even so, sometimes God expects you to make that effort to seek him. Or when I say seek him, what I'm talking about is throughout the day, things will happen where you will lose your peace. Things will happen where you no longer have that rest and assurance of the presence of God in your life. Maybe it's a work situation or a family situation or an external chain of events that happen. And so in the past, I would go through the entire day until I had time to be able to uh, sit down, read the Bible, try and get some good good information into my heart and into my head, uh, ask for forgiveness or whatever. But as time has gone by, I've learned that at any given moment, I can disconnect from what's happening around me, and connect into the presence of God. In other words, because God is a father to me, just like I have an earthly father, thank God, still alive, and and mother, at any given point in the day, I can take out my phone and connect with them. Now, they're people. They're, They're not perfect, just like me. They're not perfect. So, Maybe they can't always talk because they're involved in something. Maybe they're driving down the road or they're in a store, they're having dinner or something like that. Of course, if it was a crisis, I'm sure they would drop what they were doing and help me in any way they could. But with God, it is completely different. With God, I can connect and have 100% of his attention at any given moment. And so... What I've learned to do is not wait five, ten hours before disconnecting from the problems and connecting into the solution. I've learned that I could stop what I'm doing and I could pray and I could connect with the Father immediately. And the more you do that, I'm not even talking about taking 30 minutes in the middle of the day or making it a religious exercise. I'm just talking about Just like we connect with multiple people throughout the day, it might be an email, it might be a phone call, it might be a text message. How long does it take for you to do that? 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. You can do that throughout your day. And the effect that it has on you will be much more dynamic than if you just have a quote-unquote prayer time or a quote-unquote devotional time. I actually hate that phrase. I remember somebody used to say that years ago. They used to say, "Ah, did you do your devotions this morning? And I would think, you know what? I'm not a morning person. And I'm not the type of person, unless there's a crisis, that I can spend more than 30 minutes at a time uh, praying and seeking God. I found that it's much more beneficial to me that if I seek God throughout the day. Now, throughout the day, I'm, I'm meaning in little bites of time. It could be 30 seconds to 5 minutes, or it could turn into 15 minutes, or it could turn into 10 seconds. I don't create a rules for myself 
Because when I create rules, I inadvertently don't follow them or I break them. And then I feel worse about not having done it than if I didn't even make the rule to begin with. So there are no rules. Just like there aren't any rules that tell me I got to talk to my friend. When I'm not talking to a friend or if I haven't spoken with my father or my mother, then I find myself missing them because I have a good good uh, relationship with them. And it's no different than God. Sometimes in the middle of the day when, when things aren't going right or when I feel stress or confusion or, or, or overwhelm, something that may be happening in my business or with clients or just personal, um, I find myself missing the peace of God. And the only way to get the peace of God is to go to the source of the peace of God, which is God himself. And the easiest way I know to do that is by praying. And the easiest way I know to pray is to be completely transparent and honest because every relationship, the quality of that relationship is based not on the length of time that the person talks or speaks words to that other person, but it's the sincerity of the communication that's actually occurring. And therein, it took me a long time to understand that secret. I understood it like you understand 2 plus 2 equals 4, but I didn't understand it in such a way that it became an extension of who I am, part of my life. And I encourage you that this can become part of your life and that it will become deeper and deeper every day, every week, every month, every year as you move forward in your life. That if you're missing the peace of God, if you're missing the joy, because the joy of the Lord is our strength, if you're missing that, you can't get it by just taking a bunch of facts that you hear from the Bible and just rehearsing them to yourself. That may help a little bit. But that's not a relationship. And you've been called to have a relationship with God. It's available to you. The door is always open to you. The availability of the presence of God is always available to you. You don't have to wait for a special meeting. You don't have to have special music. And you don't have to have any of those external things. Because the kingdom of God is not external. It is internal. The kingdom of God is within you. That's why the, the within you part, your re, the real you, the inner man, that's the part that lives forever. That's the real you. This meat suit that you're in that has, you know, um, eyes, ears, a brain to think. It's just the computer that the real you is using to function in this reality. But the real you is eternal and goes on forever. Thank God. If you're a believer, you will go on forever in the presence of the Lord. So let me just leave you with those uh, a few more encouraging words. Practice disconnecting from uh, overwhelming situations. Practice taking what you know, what you understand from the Bible and not making it so difficult that it becomes, you find yourself in a place where, what, well, what should I say when I pray? Or how should I do this? Or how do I do that? Recognize that God, if you're, if you're 10 years old, spiritually speaking, God's not requiring you 
to deal with him or to interact with him like you're 30. If you're just starting to learn how to do certain things, how to understand certain principles that, you're, that you see in the Bible, God is not expecting you to be a master overnight of how all these things work or to understand. The Bible says unless you become as children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And what is the difference between children and adults? The biggest difference is, is that children communicate, connect simply and from the heart. So once you gain knowledge, make sure you don't lose that simplicity of heart or that sincerity of heart. Because children are sincere for the most part. I mean, children are terrible liars because they haven't learned how to, how to do it in such a way that it deceives people. They're not, they're not deceivers. Um, they're honest. When they're mad, they let it out. They don't pretend like they're not mad. When they're confused, you'll know it, right? Again, they don't hide it. The difference between children and adults is that with a child, what you see is what you get. With an adult, things are hidden. Relative to how you connect with the Father, how you connect with Jesus, or how you connect with the Holy Spirit, whichever way you want to look at it as you go throughout your day, do it from a child's standpoint. In other words, don't hide anything. Don't hide anything. Even if you're embarrassed or feel overwhelmed with guilt, whatever it is, put it all out there. And that's how you connect in the deepest way possible, in a practical way, in your everyday life experience. And then if you start doing that, you'll start finding that all of these other things, all these other truths will suddenly be opened up to you. And you'll understand them on a deeper level. And just remember then the worst case situation, you could cry out to God and God knows his own. He knows he'll hear from heaven and there's always help, even miraculous help. You have to understand that available to you. Just be willing to take a small step of faith. Even if that's all you can do is the smallest step of faith, take it and God will honor that. Okay, that's all for today. Uh, if you haven't joined the mailing list and want to get updates whenever these new podcasts are posted or new articles are published on the main website, you can do that at www.faithtestedbyfire.com. That address again is www.faithtestedbyfire.com. This is Jim. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.